Welcome to The Breakdown with Brad Coburn Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Michael Broadcorp. I've been away from the podcast over the last few weeks as I needed to focus on my recovery from being hit by a car outside my home in April. While my recovery isn't complete, I'm excited to announce that I will be returning to the podcast next week. I want to thank you all for your kind messages of encouragement and support over the last few months. I also want to thank my co-host Becky Shear and special guest co-host Jeff Kolb for continuing the podcast while I needed to focus on my recovery. Becky and Jeff's food takes have been complete garbage, but their interviews with A-plus guests and conversations breaking down interesting topics have been insightful and fascinating to hear. Due to the July 4th holiday, this week's episode will feature a previously aired discussion Becky and I had with one of the most respected Minnesota journalists, Pat Kessler. I've also included Becky and Jeff's food fight with Broadcorp and Becky, featuring their guest, Kyle Potter. The fight was over the best Taco Bell menu items, past and present. I want to thank you all for listening to The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. I've missed recording the podcast, and I can't wait to be back with a fantastic new episode next week. We are incredibly happy to be joined this episode by one of the most knowledgeable political reporters in Minnesota, Pat Kessler. Uh, Pat started with Minnesota Public Radio, but most of us know him from his 36 years with WCCO. Um, if there was a major political story or a minor political story in Minnesota in the last 40 years, Pat Kessler was either breaking the news to Minnesotans or explain to them why they should care about it or be interested in it. Um, he is an I Minnesota institution. And as for a podcast that focuses on breaking down public policy, politics, and general what's going on in Minnesota from the political perspective, I cannot think of someone who would be more knowledgeable to have on our this episode and, and be a guest of the show. And we hope that this experience is enjoyable for him, where this could be the start of something where he'll come back and talk with us. But we wanted to talk with Pat Kessler today. And and Pat, can you hear us okay? We're glad to have I you on can. the show. I'm so grateful that you invited me. Thank you so much. Uh, I love the podcast. A longtime listener, first time guest. <laughs> uh, you are... And and not to make you bashful, but you are a Minnesota institution, and and it is such a privilege to have you on today. Um, as I was kind of, I was as I was typing that up, I was you know being since it's it's accurate. I don't want to, I don't want you have to do a reality check of your own appearance on the show. But you have been involved in Minnesota politics um, for you know you were with WCCO for thirty six years. Prior to that, with Minnesota Public Radio, I think the eighty four presidential race was your one of your first big races you covered in Minnesota. So you've been a part of certainly our listeners' years, but certainly my formative years in Minnesota politics. Um, seeing you reporting on TV, but then interacting with you at the, at the state capitol and other things—it's just a real treat to have you on today and just on a personal level. Well, thank you so much, Michael. And you've always been so important to me. And and I love seeing uh, people like you, Becky. Uh, we need the younger folks to come in. And Michael, you're much younger than I am. But uh, seeing the new generation is something that is so important. And thank you for that overly kind introduction because it's been a great run. I had a great run. 
but you're still you still have your toe a little oh, bit involved. You're still doing some analysis. You're still doing a story. So we haven't lost you completely. Uh, th- that is correct. Uh, I, I like to call myself the old guy emeritus. They uh, they call me in at WCCO Television uh, if there's an uh, if there's an election, uh, if there is an infection or an insurrection. You know, I I, I you know I, I tend to so I'm, I keep going. You know, I keep going. So it's been. It's been a great uh, a, a great time going back, and then I do uh, radio uh, still, so I'm still very busy and enjoy this uh, immensely. Becky, you've you've interacted with with Pat over the years, correct? Absolutely, yes. When I worked for Congressman Emmer, Congressman Lewis, you know, a number of different different folks definitely have inter- have had interactions and. And certainly, you know, one of the good ones. There's a lot of good ones out there, but um, you know, Pat, you've been one that I think always does a good job of telling the story, sticking to facts, and making sure that um, listeners or viewers understand the full picture of of the interview or story that is being. And shared. I appreciate that so much coming from you, Becky, because uh, as Michael and I have talked about in the past, being accessible reporters, as you both have been, is so, so, so important. And you take your job seriously. And if I may say this, uh, you don't take yourself as seriously as you take your job. So uh, I love that about you. You you always uh, treated us with good humor and professionalism. And and that's how we have to work in this system, particularly with uh, public officials and with uh, uh, journalists. That's just the way it has to be. When Becky and I um, started talking about doing a podcast, we sat with a, a number of people and sat down and came up with a list of people that we wanted to have on the podcast. And Pat Kessler, you were on, Pat was on the list immediately. He was one of the first names mentioned. And that's because of your, your institutional knowledge, your experience. Um, and there's a variety of subjects that we could have you to come on and we want to have you come on. Um, one subject I just want to just briefly mention is... Um, always enjoyed your reality checks um, as a someone who worked in communications and opposition research, getting a passing grade or some type of quality mark on a reality check was critically important. And I will also say to the political nerds out there and to the people who have or sometimes are political nerds or who have sometimes get frustrated with the media. There is, I will tell you as someone who's designed campaign ads, worked with campaigns, this is where the media plays such an important role because making sure that you run an ad that can pass a Pat Kessler fact check or a reality check absolutely factors into the constructions of ads. And so when you have media that's doing reality checks, that's fact checking the politicians, that makes campaigns more accountable to the public and to media. It's a very important public service. And I just want to just say again, um, one of the many hats you wore that I respected was certainly the reality check. And I'm troubled to bring this up because one of the issues, I think, is that I wonder if it mattered uh, because first started with fact-checking, it was new and innovative back in the day. Uh, But now you could have fact-checked 24 hours a day. There's a torrent of misinformation, disinformation, camouflage, misdirection, all of that. And, uh, and, and it's more than it's ever been before. It's not less. And so, uh, figuring out new ways to do it, I think is really important for young people, uh, in this profession. If I may ask, um, the first campaign I worked on was Boschwitz, uh, Wellstone 96. Mm-hmm. My understanding is, was that your first year you did the reality checks? Cause I remember 
there being some reality check discussion. Yes, that, uh, that that was the first time we uh, we ever did that, and it was hugely controversial. Uh, we uh, we took great care to make sure we found uh, misinformation or spin, and it was spin back then. It wasn't deliberate uh, lies as we see today. Uh, and and it was very controversial because that took us out of the role of, uh, of what was thought of as a traditional reporter. This person said this. On the other hand, this person says that. They were equal. And we, for the first time, were making a judgment on what was more equal than others or what was true, what was false, what was misleading. So hugely controversial in the day, but people came to accept it. And and uh, and it became very common uh, over the years. You know, uh, Michael and I did a little of our homework um, in preparation for this and listened to an interview you did with Ben Lieber. And one of the things that I think was interesting um, that you discussed there was misinformation versus disinformation. And can you kind of walk through what what those words mean to you and and maybe how that's evolved over the last, uh, you know, couple of years, maybe even. Yeah, it's a great question because uh, misinformation is to me is leaving out some information. It might be a little bit of spin, which I completely accept as part of the role of of a public official or a candidate who is running for election. Here's my view. Here's my spin on this. I accept that. It's it's misinformation. Disinformation is the deliberate, uh, the deliberate uh, uh, dissemination, the deliberate speaking of different things in a campaign that are either not true, you know them to be not true, uh, they are. They have a very, very basic um, uh, truth or, or not truth to them, and you use it anyway. So it's when a politician says something that is not true, knowing it's not true, I would call that disinformation. And um, again, camouflaging, misinformation, spin, I think... I'm not going to ever say it's okay because I much prefer everybody's transparent, but I understand the, the the role that different people play in order to get elected. Uh, this is you're appealing to your voters, so that is uh, one of the uh, that, that's that's one of the differences that I see. Do do you th- go ahead, Becky? Oh, I was just going to say, and and I, I believe I probably know the answer to this, but do you believe that we see more of that disinformation now than we did 10 years ago? Much, much more. And and uh, disinformation is kind of a polite word. Uh, I, <laughs> I've always it, tried to avoid the word lie. And I'm thinking, and I have, I have to, I'm, I'm pretty sure, because we had many discussions about this in the newsroom, I never use the word lie in a story. I, we, we would never say this person is lying, this person is a liar, this is a lie. Uh, we would say this is not true or this is true. So, I, and, and now I, I do feel that there is deliberate lying that goes on and people know it's a lie and they say it anyway. And, and that's one of the biggest differences that I see. And it's a, it's a tremendous challenge for reporters and particularly young reporters who have to corral this into one place because I dealt with television ads, 
political speeches, and TV, basically. Nowadays, we have to deal with uh, all manner of different platforms uh, on social media, radio, podcasting, uh, uh, television commercials, Facebook, TikTok, all of it we have to deal with. And, and it's really, really difficult to get it into one place. I will share a, uh, a, a Pat Kessler story that I have that, that I, that reminds me of, and it, it goes to, uh, I think his, uh, so an example of, I think his fidelity to the truth and his desire to pursue it. Remember when I was deputy chair of the party, uh, I was asked by Pat Kessler at a press conference at MNGP headquarters, if I believe that Barack Obama was born and was was qualified to be president because there was a birther movement that was moving around at that time. And it had, it had percolated with a lot of the activists. I remember discussing it with the research director at the time, Mark Drake, that we we knew we knew you were there. We knew the question was possibly going to come up and we went over it. And it was a we knew that we had to deal with it head on. And I did not subscribe to the school thought. Uh, the conspiracy theory at the time was that Barack Obama was not a legal resident of the United States and that his that there was some birther movement. I did, I never subscribed to that, but I remember you asking me at a press conference about it and it was a, a, a well-questioned, well-formed, well-structured, good question. And uh, I had a responsibility to answer it. I took some heat for my answer, but it was a good question that you asked. And it, it, what it, what it reminds me of is you and Becky were talking uh, and it was a great question by Becky. Uh, it reminded me about just your kind of shoe leather kind of beat reporting was always kind of about the facts. And I think it's remarkable. I think it's honorable. I think it's what journalism should do. And I just wanted to share that little that little tidbit that I had. Uh, I've, I've been on the receiving end of more than one of of your kind of inquiries about facts, but that was one that um, was it didn't seem very significant at the time. But I think it was the start of. I think the introduction of the kind of the conspiracy about whether Barack Obama was a legal was a natural. You know, his birth where yeah, he was the born, the long movement. Form, all awesome. that movement, I think, different. Yeah. I, I think it really was kind of the the start of the kind of misinformation movement, and you were on it back then. And um, I just wanted to share that with our listeners. Well, that that is a, a time I remember that things were really beginning to percolate all around the country, including yeah. here in Minnesota. And uh, and what year was that? Uh, would that be uh, two thousand two thousand nine or ten? So fairly um, late, two thousand nine yeah, so or ten. That would be fairly. Probably two and uh, and and many of the conspiracy theories which were beginning to blossom and remember was uh, did the iPhone come into being in uh, 2010? It's right around that time, and then yeah. we started to have uh, different social media sites uh, like Twitter and Facebook uh, primarily at the time. So a lot of things were were spreading, and now it's to the point where it's it's uh, much much different where uh, truth. Uh, false things that are false lies become the truth and the truth becomes a lie and uh, there's hardly any way to stop it um what's interesting it's a good segue to the topic that we wanted to have you on about was as we as we all remember and all know is that then private citizen donald trump was one of the initial pushers of the birther movement and that agenda and um the subject that we wanted to have you on to talk about was the recent cnn town hall meeting and um, your perspective on it. It occurred last week. There's been a lot of debate in the media about uh, um, 
and amongst the general public about the appropriateness of CNN doing that town hall meeting. Uh, Becky and I uh, have perspectives. Um, I don't. I think it's fair to say, and I'll let Becky describe herself. But uh, I certainly am not a supporter of President Trump. Um, I didn't vote for him in sixteen or twenty, um, and we we have a mixed relationship with him on this on this podcast. But I wanted to get your perspective on the decision by CNN to have him on, and in particular, fact checking in real time because you have such a strong role. Uh, in kind of even before Snoops uh, and other websites that are out there fact checking, leading a role in that type of stuff, your perspective on that event and yeah, the and it's stuff. it's such a great question, you guys, because it's two two separate questions. Number one, should CNN have done it, and number two, the execution of it. Uh, how well did they do it? And I'm in the camp, and I I don't know exactly where either one of you fits, and I'd love to hear this. Um, I believe, of course, you got to do it. Of course, you've got to have the former president of the United States, who is the leading candidate uh, for president in the Republican Party, uh, and not even close, by far, and more likely than any other candidate right now, uh, to be the next president of the United States. Yes, you have to have him. And how do you do it is the, is the more important question to me. Yeah, you got to have him on. And I know people are boycotting CNN. Uh, and and highly critical of, of that decision. But it's not even close to me. You've got to have them on. And we can, I'd love to know what you think, and we can move on to the next part. But that's a, it, it's, it's a no-brainer to me. Becky? I, I agree. I think that it's one of those things that um, folks don't like to hear, like to give him more time. I know the... There was some reports um, back before even the 2016 election about the amount of earned media that Trump got versus Hillary Clinton um, and other candidates, even pre-primary, um, and and just how much you know maybe you know different outlets gave him a hand up by by giving him this this attention. However, in this situation, he is the running you know the the front runner for the Republican nomination. He is a former president. Um, and and we do owe it to devoters of uh, across the the spectrum the right to hear from him um whether you like it or not whether it's setting up democrats ways to attack him whether it's setting up DeSantis in other ways to to go against him or just to hear really what we're getting and and remind folks of that so i i think absolutely they they needed to do it i'm glad to do it for the record again we'll make it clear i am i'm i uh, my name is becky share and i am not a trump supporter um i do hope we have somebody else uh but but it it needed to be done absolutely i um I agree with Becky. Um, I'm my name is Michael Barker, but I'm not a Trump supporter. I didn't vote for him in sixteen and twenty. But that being said, if people are frustrated about the fact that CNN had an obligation to do that, I think it's more a reflection on the party and politics. That the truth of the matter is, is that he's the front runner for the nomination. And based on recent polling, you could make the case that he is the front runner to potentially win. That he's in the driver's seat right now in the race. And it's on. Am I? Fr- I was frustrated in watching it. Um, but the reality is, is that we can't, I don't think it's the role of the media to turn a blind eye to who the front runner is. This isn't some random third party. It's the Republican party and it's, they're a major party uh, at every level of, of government. And so the front runner, I think deserves um, that type of attention. Does it frustrate me? Yes. I wish it was someone else, but it does. Um, he, he do, it did warrant the attention. 
Now, so then I guess the question becomes, uh, was the execution a problem? Because I thought that this town hall was a blank show. I, I, I do. I, I, I thought it was disgraceful. Uh, the forum, as it unfolded in front of our eyes like a slow motion car crash, uh, was shameless. Uh, I thought it was nasty. Uh, he was unapologetic, uh, e- extremely mendacious. And CNN did little or nothing, futile attempts, to try to curb what was clearly uh, falsehoods, things he was saying that were not true, that could clearly be described as lies. Uh, and, and they didn't do anything to push back enough. And that's only one of, the, one of the things that I had a problem with. I had a bigger problem with another part that we can talk about in a moment. So my question for you, because I, while I agree, um, you know, on your side of things, if if you were in the role as moderator or behind the scenes, what what things would you have liked to see to do more of that uh, that fact checking, the calling her out, you know, because I believe Caitlin Collins did at times attempt. I believe this is not um, something that we were shocked that Trump was going to try to railroad the situation, but, but what what would you like to see there? Yeah, I I thought Caitlin Collins did a, a great job. Um, you know, the, what can you do when you have a torrent, a flood, a tsunami of of that kind of falsity coming right at you? Things that are are just separated, untethered from reality. What do you do? Uh, so I thought she did a really good job, and I should also say that uh, the breaking news on the day we're recording this podcast is that she's been promoted. She's going to get mm-hmm. the primetime CNN uh, news slot that was once held by Chris Cuomo. So uh, I don't think this hurt her, and I've always respected her as a reporter. But I've been in these situations, and I, I, I've interviewed Trump. I've been to many Trump rallies, all of this kind of stuff. And it's really, really difficult. Uh, but I've also been in situations on a local level in our local uh, uh, CBS affiliate WCCO, uh, where we planned way ahead of time for these kinds of uh, anything that could go wrong in public events, like uh, a U.S. Senate debate or a governor's debate. We go over the questions. We go over what could possibly go wrong, who's in the audience, uh, whether or not the, the lighting is right. How are the cameras going to behave? We did shot blocking, as we call it. You block the shots uh, for every candidate, which has been criticized in this town hall. But most of all, uh, you've got to have some sort of fact-checking capability. If it's something as simple as a graphic that you put up on the screen when the president uh, says something that is completely false, uh, very simple, one example would be where Caitlin Collins says, well, Mr. President, you said that you would uh, suspend uh, the Constitution if, if it meant uh, getting a fair, fixing the rigged elections. I never said I'd suspend, terminate the Constitution. I never said that. Well, you can put up a soundbite or a graphic of his tweet where he says exactly that. Something as simple as that. And you can do it in a polite way. Uh, hold on, Mr. President. Uh, the, let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at what you said on this day, just to kind of stop that steamroller, because he was in command of the room. Uh, he was uh, he was an alpha. He was completely in control of the whole of the whole hour. That's just one small example. But I mean, he we did learn some stuff too. But that's just one small example that I would fact check him on. 
Do you think um, it's difficult to do that with a former president? Uh, do you think that there is a difficulty? Um, Very much. Again, to repeat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Caitlin Collins is great. I think she's worthy of the promotion. It's going to be great to watch her in that time slot. I think she did as best as she yeah. could. I think she did as good as anyone else was going to do. I just, I, there's a part of me that thinks that the institution of CNN could have done more to put her in a well, better Well, that's just one of the things that I talk about, like having, uh, blocking out the shots in a different way, uh, having a fact check capability. You've got one of the biggest news organizations in the world and to not be prepared with pieces of paper or graphics or all of that that you put up. But I I, uh, I concur that it's difficult to uh, to interview a president, any president, uh, because you have to walk the line of respect for the institution and the office, and then hold somebody accountable. But you've never had a president like this who has no respect for the norms, for the traditions. Uh, frankly, there is no bottom to the things uh, that he might say. But the one big problem, I think, with this uh, CNN town hall was the audience itself, uh, where, remember that all of the things, I, I, made, I made a short list, it's, it's actually a long list, but I'll only read a couple of them. The things that uh, the former president said, he's going to pardon the January 6th uh, the rioters, he would solve the war in 24 hours, he mocked the sexual assault victim, uh, that he was convicted of uh, the sexual abuse the day before, um, and he said he would suspend the Constitution, all of this. But let's focus on the woman, the, the, the assault from the day before, where a jury in New York City uh, found him liable for sexual assault against the uh, newspaper columnist from uh, 20 years ago. He mocked her, and the audience just laughed and cheered. Oh, rape. Oh, that's so funny. Sexual assault. Tee-hee-hee. Mm -hmm. At some point, uh, I, I wonder, and I've seen other town halls where you do this, where you interact more with the audience, you stop it. You stop it down. You go into the audience to the people who are laughing and say, why are you laughing? What is funny about this? That would have been shocking. It might have been um, it, it. It might have been a way to bring all of this back to some sort of reality, to ground it in some way. But it, I, I think it was a runaway train. Yeah, I think, you know, Michael and I, I think that goes right into a lot of our frustration that we talk about um, with the Republican Party as a whole. You know, I think Michael and I both identify on some level of the spectrum with the Rep as being Republicans, I, I, I'll, I'll let Michael say if he's bowing out of that at any point. <laughs> um, but, you know, and that is our frustration because this is, you know, now we this platform that we all agree should have been given to the president is also being given to these Republicans, you know, representing the Republican Party. And it's unfortunate. It's sad. It's embarrassing. Um, and and that's something that, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to hopefully, you know, with this podcast try to show that there are you know I, I don't know if i want to call a sane but quote unquote sane republicans absolutely out there, there are. because it is upsetting absolutely there are and and so the the selection of an audience in in this particular case was 
important. And I haven't actually seen a really good explanation of why. Uh, I, I get it that you want to get people who might have voted for Trump in 2016 or, or uh, 2020, but there was nobody else. There were no independents that I could see or they that they featured. Uh, anybody who was really skeptical of the president, it did seem like full-on red flag, red hat MAGA, uh, red pill MAGA uh, people in there. But you say same Republicans, of course there are. I mean, and but they are not getting, uh, many Republicans are not getting, and uh, the, uh, the, the platform in order to talk about what, what are quote unquote normal Republicans. And I have to say this, uh, the Republican leaders are not helping in this, in this regard um, as the presidential campaign heats up. No, and I think that the show, I think that the the town hall, um, the way it was structured in a way, I think will 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 at the end of the day, it will boost Donald Trump's standing sure, in the race. Absolutely. I think it, it brought it brought a carnival like atmosphere to the, the the race for president, which a lot of people sometimes like. They like the entertainment value. Um, it was there was a number of lines I think that were crossed by some of the supporters in the audience. I understand the arguments from CNN that leadership that they've said that this is a, a section of America that had had that can't be ignored. Um, and so they need to draw some attention to those issues. But I think there could have been some things done um, to help uh, present uh, a more professional environment for that town hall to happen. But unfortunately, Republicans, I have to accept some responsibility for that. This wasn't like it was an undercover uh, Mike Wallace ambush on the street. This was a town hall meeting. They knew the cameras were on, and this is how they acted. And I think it, it brought out uh, the reality sometimes of the unfortunate nature of politics these days uh, and, the, and the kind of the ugliness that can happen. Well, by degree, uh, I, I agree that I, I think that uh, former President Trump did something that might even be called valuable because normally he's, he's a little vague on where he stands. He's suggestive. Uh, he won't actually say something, but he said things here that if he's reelected, uh, that we could probably count on. I mean, you've got a, a pretty clear idea that he says that the United States should go into default uh, in this big default debate. I think that was pretty clear that he said he will pardon the January 6th rioters. That was very, very clear. Um, he did not say whether he whether Russia or Ukraine should win. I think, of course, that raises the issue of of a future military aid to Ukraine. So that was helpful to see. But I think most of America already knew this, and, and that was uh, Trump 2.0 or 3.0 now. One of the discussions that, that's come out of it is whether it is the responsibility of the media to make news. And um, that's one of the discussions that came out, is that it's that and and some folks have said it's, you know, it's our job to make news and others have said, no, it's your job to report the news. I think that, and I'd like huh. to get your perspective on this, at least, at least the way I yeah. see it, CNN, engage, CNN engages in both in a sense. And these cable network news networks do They're straight reporting that they do, but they also have opinions. They also have shows that where they invite guests on and draw out, draw out comments and stuff. Do you think that it was, do you think your take on the the role of the media is to report news, not I, make I'm, news. Uh, you know, that's the first time I think I've ever been asked that question. And I've, I, I've thought about it in some ways, but there is a difference between 
uh, making news and breaking news. And they're two different things, and they both are valuable in their own way. After this town hall, I see that the CNN executives were saying, well, she made news. Caitlin Collins made news, and we made news on this. And it's more than just drawing out information. It was almost as if they, they, they wanted to make news. I get it. I totally get that. That is part of the job. But breaking news is something a little bit different. It's when you find out something that no one else has and you want to be first with it. So those are, are, are two different things. I think they're both valuable. But the, the I was always really reluctant um, to... How do I say this? I was really reluctant to push something that that I knew w- would make news, but I was making it bigger than it should be. You know, you have to figure out where something fits uh, in a news story. But I think both of those are probably valuable, Michael and, and Becky. You probably were on the on, involved in a lot of things like that in in your career. Still are. Yeah, you know, it's definitely a fine line to to know wh- how things go and and what actually is reporting the news, what's getting clicks, what's trying to, you know, at, at times, you know, I, I've worked for some not quiet, you sure. know, meek individuals yeah. who uh, at times I think that there were were certainly different folks. Well, can who I ask this were, question? I don't mean to interrupt, but it's so interesting because what do when reporters come in to you when you've got some of your really great candidates. Or, or elected officials, do you always wonder if they're in there to make news out of your guy? I would say, uh, you know, a, a good like 75, 80 percent of the time, you know, having the relationships like I knew putting, a, you know, somebody in, in front of you. I wasn't worried about, you know, some salacious, you know, question. I you if there was something of topic that you needed to ask about, that was fair. You know, if there was something we were expecting to come up, but I didn't have to worry about you trying to to, you know, get something on the front page of the Washington Post or the New Yorker or something. And I think there's some reporters where you're always kind of like, well, you know, this they're they're they they could definitely ask that. So I think it's less about um every interview and more about who who the interviews are with if if that's going to be the case. I'm really sorry to interrupt you, but it was so interesting about remembering what you do. Yeah, you know, and I think that's, again, it's really just there, there are a lot of really, really good reporters out there. There's a lot of really good journalists that we worked, I've I've worked with, and I've met along the way. And then there's some that there, you definitely do see some of those folks who are are trying to who have more opinions that they're trying to insert the story or sometimes you have you hear the questions they're be asked they're asking and you know their story's already already written and they're just trying to get that quote that fits into their pre-written story um and so that's where they're going and so yeah it just it depends on the person yep. certainly is really interesting do you think as we segue into our next subject do you think that CNN standing and how people feel about CNN and the media was enhanced by the town hall meeting, or do you think it was a didn't make a difference? Is it okay if I say I don't know? I really don't know. Um, I I think if the goal was to, of CNN was to enhance its standing, uh, I, I I don't know that that was accomplished. Uh, if it is just to truly to say. We have this opportunity to present you the leading candidate for president of the United States. This is news, you know, um, probably, but it that's a 
that's a really hard question to answer. And and the the, the subject that we want to transition into is there is a, a recent poll that came out by the Economist and YouGov uh, published the results asking Americans where they get their news from and how much they they trusted. Twenty two prominent media organizations will will link to the link to the poll when we when we release this episode. But at the top of the list was the Weather Channel, PBS, BBC, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and then the Associated Press. CNN was in roughly the same place as the National Review, the New York Post, uh, and other kind of uh, somewhat of, of opinion commentaries. What does the fact that the most trusted news sources are the Weather Channel and PBS, what does that offer to you uh, about where Americans have their faith and trust in media right well, now? Well, first of all, who doesn't love the Weather Channel? I mean, seriously. I uh, you know, in, in a part of the country, uh, we are in the Midwest and in the upper Midwest, the great North. Um, we, weather is news every single day of the year. I mean, we love who doesn't love Jim Cantore, who doesn't love these everything that they do. Uh, I do have questions about this poll. I think overall, 30,000 feet. I think it does reflect that there is a general mistrust and distrust of the media. Um and I think a lot of this has been stoked by uh, prominent politicians in both parties, Democrat and Republican. So I, I think it does reflect that. I, I, I was a little skeptical, to be honest, uh, because PBS and BBC, of course, uh, people tend to love that. But who watches PBS and BBC? Uh, I mean, and I don't mean because they're not good, because they're excellent, but who watches all these? Uh, and you got 1,500 respondents. I, I tried to look at uh, the tabs on the poll. And uh, do, did all 1,500 watch all of these from Weather Channel to Breitbart? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. So so I wonder if this is more name recognition. Um, and, and I saw that the Democrats trust MSNBC, no big surprise uh, there. <laughs> Republicans trust Fox, no big surprise there. But when you look at the poll, it looked like Democrats uh, trust Infowars more than Republicans trust CNN. Now, does that Correct. make sense to you guys? Not no, it doesn't. Um, I will. I will say. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I said not to me in general, but it does overall. I I think it reflects in 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 a fairly valid way that people don't trust the quote unquote mainstream media. Uh, two things. I will say, number one, I think PBS's high ranking was because Becky Allery made her, Becky Shear made her debut yeah, yeah, yeah. On, uh, on on Almanac on Friday night. So I think that had a big impact in that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was I was glued and, and my household was glued to, uh -huh. to Almanac to watch uh, Becky's uh, debut appearance uh, on Almanac, which she did a great, great job. Um, a couple of things I will also say, and I'd be curious to get Becky and, and Pat, both your takes on this. I generally rotate through. So I have, uh, I watch CNN, Fox, and MSNBC all throughout the day uh, as a way to kind of get the news on a regular basis um, is to get kind of a balance because I do think there's a, a little bit of a partisan perspective on all of them. But I'd like to get your take. If, if you guys are sitting down and watching news at night, um, what are you watching? If you want, if you feel comfortable disclosing, and do you, do you feel the need to kind of cycle through some different media stations? 
Do you want me to go ahead? Um, I'll, I'll start. I, I, I guess, you know, I, I'll show my age here. And um, I largely get my news from Twitter um, and, and following the the perfectly cultivated feed that I have, uh, you know, poured it my last 15 years into. Um, and I would say that largely does link, you know, it's a lot of, I, I mean, very much across the board. I get Washington Post, I get CNN, I get MSNBC, I get some Fox, some Breitbart, you know, I try to, I do try to keep my, you know, eyes on, on what I believe, you know, especially in, in my previous roles, what I believe activists or or Republicans would be watching. Um, so, you know, I have spent a lot of time, you know, reading and watching Fox in my day. Um, but yeah, I, I don't typically sit down and watch a, a, a whole, you know, hour long show of anyone unless there's some guest on that I'm looking forward to and and catch most of my my stuff on Twitter. And, and that's fascinating to hear because Becky, uh, the, I, I, my kids are very similar to you, and you're probably roughly around the the same ages, where it's mostly, uh, it's uh, Twitter, uh, not Facebook, they're not on Facebook, but a lot of the social media sites. YouTube is very big uh, for news. Many of, uh, most of the young people now get it from social media. 50%, I understand, of uh, young people, 18 to 34, uh, get their news from social media. 50%, five zero. Now, I still uh, am uh, old school in many ways where I, I subscribe to the, to the newspapers, the paper newspapers of locally, the Pioneer Press, the, uh, the, the Star Tribune, but also uh, the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. So we have, we have that. But then I go online to look at the rest. I come from a news family. My wife is a news executive also, uh, and from the news business, I should say. And, and so at night, you know, I think we're sick of it, but uh, we we spend a lot of time on uh, all three, just like um, um, Michael does. My wife doesn't like to sit down and watch news when she gets home from her news station. You know <laughs> what I mean? Can't miss life. And so we do watch a lot of sports. Um, we watch a lot of sports, and when that gets too much, uh, we will watch the Food Channel. And uh, and the home, uh, what do you call it? The HGTV, where you fix up the homes, blow them up. Yeah. So um, that's our news diet, and also podcasting. Uh, seriously, we listen to a lot of podcasts. And yes, and I will also say part of the reason uh, I have younger kids. My kids are teenagers, and so they don't. We we keep them off social media because um, we think it's. My wife and I are not big fans of kids being on social media, but we try to. We've tried to instill a little bit of of balance and awareness into the local media and um, uh, cable shows and national shows to to kind of raise their kind of Absolutely. civic IQ. Yeah. And, and hey, Michael, you know, I, I'm really curious what you think because. Should there be uh, age limits on social media? And and Becky, I mean, you got you're going to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I I will say to you as as uh, I I've said to my kids that uh, it's it's like old pictures of kids in like the 20s and 30s when they're smoking <laughs> cigarettes. They didn't realize the health effect. I've said to my kids very frequently that at some point, probably when they're adults, they're going to realize this the, the the dangers of social media for younger kids. I as someone who 
keeps it steers my kids away from social media. They don't have full access to any uh-huh. social media. I absolutely think it should be raised because it's very detrimental, particularly. And I and I've disclosed this for having daughters. Uh, I think there are a lot of issues that can per- percolate on social media with with young kids and raising and keep raising strong strong kids, uh, particularly, but also strong females. Social media is sometimes not the best place for, for young girls, and and I worry about that environment Becky, a lot. What, what are you going to do? Oh, goodness. That is the million dollar question. You know, I was lucky enough that Facebook just came to be uh, when I was in college and, and then, you know, started out just for college kids and, and that sort. So it was thankfully not around when I was was super young. But I will say I, you know, working on some of the campaigns, even um, after I would get done with the election cycle, I would have to turn off Twitter, the toxicity of even just, uh, you know, some of the stuff when I worked for Jason Lewis and some of the rhetoric and, and stuff from the from the radical liberals against him that I that would come to me and being called a gender traitor, you know, to to women's species because of working for, you know, Jason Lewis. Getting stuff like that um, was really tough on my mental health, I will say. And so, um, you know, taking I've taken breaks at times. So I absolutely I mean, my I have a 10 month old. So we're we're quite a bit away from this. But um, I absolutely think there's going to be limits in this household to to access and, and where it can be, because it is um, there's there's lots of potential for trouble there. Absolutely. Sorry. And I know uh, th- I hear stories about this and we female reporters that I've worked with over the years face all of the same things. And where are we uh, in journalism and in public affairs and all of this where women get a lot more uh, threats and intimidation and those kinds of messages? And, and I, I'm just so sorry to hear this. And somehow, some way, we've got to get our arms around this. Absolutely. I think it's uh, still going to be a while. I don't think there's a, any solution in the near future. But, um, you know, we, we've got a new CEO coming in on Twitter. So we'll we'll have to watch how that plays out. But I'm going to just as we as we close out here, today, I got to just share one story. 1996 campaign. I'll go back to one more time. There was one computer in the Boschwitz office that had access to the <laughs> Internet and no one was allowed to touch it. <laughs> Um, and, and so, and I was doing some comms work back then. It was just a, and so it's amazing how much times, times have changed with the internet these days. How'd you, how'd you distribute your press releases there? Like carrier pigeon? Um, I, we had a, we had a fax transmission service that we used that did a lot of, uh, I remember having to go in and manually program the, fa- aside from, you know, email was a website. The website was basically Boschwitz's literature, just like scanned in. Um, that was the website back then. And um, a lot of the press releases were distributed email going to the press corps. But also, uh, one of my big jobs was programming a fax machine, a fax distribution list. Well, on fax I, well one of my favorite time uh, things that I've seen today on this podcast is seeing a smile on Becky's face. Like, oh, that is so <laughs> cute. What did, yeah. Oh, um, you know, we had one in 1996. We had one computer in uh, WCCO television, a major metropolitan market TV station. And one person was allowed to use it and had to make a request in order to do <laughs> research on Google, something called Google back then. And it cost $5 every time we did it. And so you had to run it by everybody. So uh, same deal. You know, that's the way it was. And then we walked uh, to school in a snowstorm without boots backwards up a hill. And that's what we did. Yeah. You know, uh, one last story. My kids asked me once what I watched on Netflix when I was a kid. (laughs) 
Ask me what I watched in Netflix yeah, well, when I was a kid. Ask me Pat, you television when I was a kid. <laughs> Pat, you have been incredibly gracious with your time today. This has been such a great episode. Uh, again, you are an institution to Minnesota politics, to our state. Uh, we would absolutely, we hope this experience was enjoyable to the point where you'd consider coming back. I'd love to talk with you more about you know, your work on fact-checking, your, your perspective on the media and other topics that you're so knowledgeable. Well, about. it's it's really been an honor and I appreciate this opportunity so much. And you guys are fantastic. So please keep doing this. Keep up the good work. It's really fun to listen to. Thank you so much. We'll talk okay. to you soon. Thanks, Pat. I have to confess, um, I'm only doing this guest host gig uh, for a short period of time until Michael comes back. Uh, and I had a couple of food fight items that I wanted to do, and Taco Bell menu items was one of them. And I know that Kyle is a fellow uh, Taco Bell aficionado, so I was it, it, there was kind of a dual purpose to inviting you here because it got to force the issue of doing the Taco Bell menu item list. So, uh, Becky, we're going to move on into the food fight with broad carbon becky except for it's not it's with me and becky and then also kyle potter and the 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 topic this week is taco bell menu items and as i as i clarified these can be either existing current taco bell menu items or uh discontinued menu items in case you have a, a love uh long gone uh kyle why don't you go first we go from number one your favorite to number five and just uh, kind of a rapid fire here. So go ahead. What's your number one? The number one uh, Taco Bell menu item, indisputably, is the grilled cheese burrito, huh. um, okay. which is not what it sounds like, uh, but it is the best burrito that you can get at Taco Bell. They just kind of like fry some cheese on the outside in like a little quesadilla grill or something. I don't know. Uh, it comes on and off the menu. Okay. It is incredible um i in fact it's so incredible it's better than the number two item in my books which is the crunch wrap supreme oh we're not ready for number two we gotta go oh oh oh, we're okay all right well sorry round robin nobody nobody heard that um and we'll move on (laughs) becky what's your number one okay so my number one i am a child of the 90s uh i'm going cholito all the way yeah, that's yeah. You you are correct. Kyle is wrong. My number one also the chili cheese burrito slash mega cheese chilito, which is just a souped up version of the chili cheese burrito. But uh, that is the indisputable menu item. Kyle, what's your number two? I'm thinking Crunchwrap Supreme. <laughs> you're correct. Uh, for okay. the first time ever, you're hearing from me that the number two item is Taco Bell's Crunchwrap Supreme. Uh, there's a reason why it has inspired many duplicates, some of which are quite good, others which are very terrible. Um, but yes, number two, Crunchwrap Supreme. Becky. My number two, I'm just going plain old chicken quesadilla. Pretty much uh, got me through college. I probably had that no less than three meals a week in college, if not more. There was one on campus right outside my dorm. I mean, come on. Fantastic. Uh, soft taco is number two for me. Just the classic soft taco. Usually best late at night uh, when you just are looking for simplicity. Just the straight soft taco. Kyle, what's your number three? Not even supreme. Uh, so supreme, okay, but I don't like the tomatoes. So then with sour cream, but no tomatoes. I didn't want to get make it complicated. Right, so I just said soft taco. <laughs> what's your number three, Kyle? Uh, my number three is the Baja Blast. Okay. Um, 
little bit uh, out of the ordinary. Probably weren't expecting a whole lot of beverages, but if Baja Blast can only get it at Taco Bell, my personal favorite is to do like half Baja Blast and half standard Mountain Dew. It looks a little bit like antifreeze and something you shouldn't be drinking. Fantastic. Um, but it's very good. I have to tell you, I was in Las Vegas a few weeks ago, and the Las Vegas Cantina on the Strip actually has alcoholic versions of most of those freezy things that they have. They sure do. Definitely, definitely worth, definitely worth a visit. Uh, Becky, your number three. Um, uh, yet another discontinued and one that is just mind blowing to me that they would ever think to get this off. Border fries. I mean, come on. I, I yeah. Love- Potato Olays are great, but Taco Bell far superior. So border fries bring back. I uh, can't argue with that. Mine is also a discontinued menu item, the Big Beef Mexi Melt. Uh, if you ever never had a Mexi Melt, it uh, is uh, seasoned ground beef, three cheese, which is a different kind of cheese. It's not just the regular cheddar cheese. It's a three cheese blend. And then the Pico, uh, which is also discontinued. So um Taco Bell killing me here, but uh, that used to be a real staple of mine was a chili cheese burrito, a beef Mexi melt, and a soft taco was the lunch of champions back in the day. Kyle, what's your number four? Number four is uh, the Doritos Locos Taco. Um, it is, it, it's not very often that these kind of items stick around for as long as that has. It feels like it's been about a decade, um, but I think it's earned its place in the top five. I, I don't hate that at all. Uh, my number four has already been said by Kyle's number two, Crunchwrap Supreme Baby. All right. My number four, the Cheesy Gordita Crunch. Uh, it is a, you know, it's got a layer of cheese in the middle between the gordita shell and the taco shell. It just, you know, you, you can't go wrong. It's it's like a flavor overload. All right, Kyle, the last number on your list. Number five epitomizes every feeling I have about eating at Taco Bell, which is generally, should I be eating this? <laughs> and that is the Nachos Bel Grande. It's, it looks horrifying. I will admit that, but it is very, very good. It is, it's also about six pounds worth of nachos too. Correct. Which is what sometimes, what sometimes you just need it. So I need to remind people that we don't discuss these ahead of time. We don't have any conversation, text, email, chain, anything about this. My number five is nachos bel grande, but specifically yeah, no is. beans. I, I I prefer to take no beans and add some lettuce to it. But man, oh man. No Got beans it. is always the right choice, uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion. My number five is actually a little bit of a a little bit of a twist on what Kyle said earlier, but mine is the Cool Ranch Doritos Locos Taco Supreme, mm. which was discontinued. And uh, I don't know if you've been following Taco Bell news at least as closely as I have, but they have been doing a thing lately where they uh, allow people to vote on menu items that can return from the dead. And the uh, Cool Ranch Doritos Locos Taco Supreme was... Uh, up against the Beefy Crunch Burrito, which I don't even know what that is. Apparently, the Beefy Crunch Burrito one that'll be back in August. I guess we're going to have to wait for the Cool Ranch Doritos Locos Taco Supreme to come back. I don't know. It's disappointing. I say, I'm a little surprised no Mexican pizzas. It's not my jam, but I'm surprised. Yeah, it no- doesn't. Uh, you doesn't know, I asked do my wife me. before we started to record, and that was her number one, actually, was the Mexican pizza. She's yeah. like, well, Mexican pizza for sure. And I'm like, oh, I didn't have that on my list. I wonder, can we stay married? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you can as well. That would be a way All to right. go out, though. 
over a dispute <laughs> I, I, right. of top one, top five Taco Bell items. It, I, it wouldn't it would be, be the first. You know, uh, my my wife's uh, one of her first jobs was at Taco Bell, uh, so we have kind of a shared long taco history in our marriage. So it's uh, it's we're taco love of tacos is one of the things that brought us together. So. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kyle Potterman uh, from Thrifty Traveler. Uh, thanks for being with us. I really appreciated the uh, conversation today. Uh, and uh, follow Kyle at Thrifty Traveler or Kyle Potter MN uh, for all of your travel needs and the occasional snarky political take. Thanks, okay. guys. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Kyle. See ya. Bye. Um, so to wrap things up, we want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky featuring Jeff Kolb. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. Again, that website is bbbreakpod.com. You can also find us on Twitter at bbbreakpod. Again, that is bbbreakpod on Twitter. The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky and Cole will return next week. Have a great week. Have a great week.